0: And with that, we're here with Brendan Best, uh, the marketing director of Liberty Food and Wine Exchange. And uh, if Ben, maybe you can describe where we're at little quick, real quick.
1: Yeah, we we are here at the Liberty Food and Wine Exchange. We're in the back room. This is a beautiful space. We're right under these giant portraits. We've got Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan, and then one that's actually been placed in here just for Brendan is a picture of Gordy Howe. So, Anyways, uh, you know, I can't, you can't smell this, obviously, but it just, this food smells incredible. So, right. Brandon, thanks for having us here. And just to start off, who who is Brandon? Tell us, tell us who you are.
2: Um, so, like I said, I'm marketing for a restaurant group that consists of Liberty Food Wine Exchange, Shea uh, Louie in the Nevada Museum of Art. The Union in Carson City. Cucina Lupo in Carson City. And the Overland Restaurant and Pub down in Carter. Excellent right. tri-tips, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the tri-tip sandwich thing. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. got,
2: they got the, the smoker down there, and they got all the best meats. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um... And other than that, I mean, I uh, added fly fisherman, uh Had a background in commercial fishing up in Alaska, uh, and then uh, hang out with my family.
0: Awesome. So I think that's something that really was super interesting about you when Ben and I first met you was was the stories that you had. Like you described, I mean, it, and for you, it was like a nutshell description of like, hey, I spent you know X amount of years you know commercially fishing, and then and then you dove in personally you invested in your own your own ship your own boat your own operation and that was pretty fascinating um would you care to kind of embellish a little bit maybe share with with everyone some of your experiences because we we found it i don't know what you think yeah
1: nico and i we we're still talking about it and it seems like the type of industry where you can't just walk in and do it you were saying you've got to know people you've got to be from there so how did you get into that and what were some of your experiences
2: um, so I grew up in a town that is surrounded by commercial fishing sold Alaska. in Alaska uh, lost, but it's a sport fishing capital of the world as well but um, when I was like 16 I, I got on a set net site uh, he has a family friend said if you learn how to pick fish bring you out on my boat. So we got on the 7th site. site was 30 minutes outside of town. Um, just got my driver's license. Used to drive my mom's Aerostar van out there. <laughs> and just like the craziest people you could ever meet. And like the craziest, most dangerous situations you could ever imagine.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm 16, just wide-eyed, like... Hanging on for dear life the whole time, but I learned how to catch. And then I went out to Bristol Bay. Um, if you don't know, Bristol Bay is like the armpit of the Bering Sea. Um, so I started as a crew hand on a boat called the Silent Partner, and uh, fished for that captain for seven years wow. and uh, basically got to the point I was in college. I was still going up every summer and I was picking fish and running as a crew hand. But I was just you know, I was really into it. I really liked to get into the fishing part and finding fish and I used to try and help the captain as much as I can. And he got to the point where he finally told me and said, you know, you've learned everything you can learn on the back deck of the boat you should get your own boat. Wow. And I was uh, I was 22, and I said, "All right, I'm gonna do it." And I bought my own boat, uh, the Super Sport, um, and I mean that is you know the craziest years of my life. Every summer went up. I mean, six more years on the Super Sport, um, and just a totally different show. You know, I very few man hours behind the wheel. I'd never launched a 32-foot rift boat. Um, I'd never docked. i never done any of that stuff. <laughs> you, <did>. just <laughs> for, you just went for it. I, I, I basically driven one in the straight line when when the captain of the, the silent party said, I gotta make dinner. Drive us over there. Pointed. said, just keep the bow pointed over there. And then just... <laughs> You know, I mean, I went for it. Yeah. <laughs> I was oh, I can figure this out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I did. And there's a steep learning curve. I, my, f- my first Sorry. my first uh, my first set ever on my own boat, which I'd never done. I'd never set in that before. I mean, I'd done all the other stuff, but I'd never driven the boat. I ran over my own net, caught the net in the prop, had to go drive up on a sandbar, wait for the tide to go out, climbed out of the boat in the mud, cut the web out, got drugged sideways across the sandbar when the tide came back in because I didn't do it right, and <laughs> wait for the second one. <laughs> wow. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, I, I had a lot of support from my family and stuff, but actually going out and doing it was a pretty wild experience. Wow. Wow. like
0: <laughs> I can't imagine, like you know, you talk about having to beat your boat basically, wait for the tide to go out and do that. I mean that's gotta be terrifying. Like that's your investment. Like that's everything is now not in the water. <laughs> not doing what it's supposed to do and it's just like anything could happen. I mean I mean what what would potentially could have been the worst that could happen. Could you have potentially lost your boat or I mean what Oh
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean it could have you know, that could have rolled the boat over super easy. Yeah, I went to the completely wrong spot where the tide pushed us in, dragged us over even higher ground. Luckily, we came off the backside, you know, ran in the ship, and were able to get out of the channel. But yeah, it could have gone way worse. You know? A lot of fish <laughs>
0: right. So, so what were some of the main things? That, some of the main species that you were going after out there? What was your big, your big hauls? I mean, what was your primary? Um,
2: so. The main species we went after was uh, sockeye salmon. Okay. Um, Bristol Bay has anywhere from like 20 to 50 million sockeye come up there. Um, There is some bycatch, but it's all just the five species of salmon. So, early in the year you get a few kings. Towards the later end of the year, you start getting chum, pinks. And even later, if you're still out there, um, you'll start picking up some silvers. Uh, you know, ninety-five percent of your catches. Are
1: How many times have had you been in a scenario where you almost capsized, or you were in the middle of a storm?
2: Um, I mean, storms happen all the time. Um, actually, before I. I hit a sandbar and almost rolled the boat before I even made my own first set, like within the first day I took, took the boat out, so it was, like I said, steep learning curve, it got hairy out of the gate, but you learn quick when you're about to sink a half a million dollar operation, so, um, after that though, I stayed away from situations like that, you know. I, I talked to people and said, like, well, where my boat? Like, where where should I go? Where should I park the boat? Um, and so I stayed out of that. Um, I know I talked to you guys when we first met about when I broke my windows out.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Was, t- tell us about that.
0: That 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 was probably one of the most terrifying things I've ever heard. I mean, yeah. Like, so, like like just just kind of like maybe recap, like paint a picture of that boat with words, and then describe that situation because that that's like.
1: I had nightmares about that.
0: Next level, yeah.
2: Me too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So basically, trying to get out to the fishing waters and we're in shallow water, going out to a deep shelf. And so, if you know anything about break, that the water coming into, the deep water coming into the shallow shelf, the waves were breaking. And a little backstory on it is that the year before is the earliest run on a mackerel. So it's really early in the season. Uh, storms will push large amounts of fish in at a time. So everyone thinks that it's going to be another early run. This big storm's going to push a bunch of fish in. We're all going to go get rich on the third day of fishing mm. <laughs> um, I've seen
1: forest Gump so I yeah. know how it works <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: so we all went for it out in the storm and there was a big group of boats heading out and we were all just kind of picking our way through it and I basically just caught a wave in the wrong spot nothing I could have done better or worse and uh, it broke out two of the three windows on the front of my boat. Um, I know we talked about uh, the amount of water that came into my boat was so massive that it actually blew the door off the back of my boat. But uh, the water ended up going into the engine room, getting the engine room, steaming up uh, so then the engine started choking on wet water. So the engine wanted to die and we were caught basically in the breakers at this point so we took about three more waves through the broken windows and then got the boat turned and then a breaker caught us and we made you know the boats don't go very fast it's you know like uh, 10 knot max oh wow and so you can't really outrun the waves so it picks your back end up and then turns you sideways and then tried to roll the boat and basically my nose was touching the water we were so close to rolling and then shot Jeez. out of that and then we were basically back in shallow water wow it was you know i had my brother and one of my best friends on the boat with me and so it was like the scariest you new know, video and I had their lives in my hands and we made it out and ruined a bunch of electronics and back glass all over the boat and everyone else that went out and fished caught like 300 pounds maximum of fish, was just <laughs> nothing. And I think 13 other boats broke their windows out that day for for zero fish.
0: That, that's that's a big a big save that you pulled. And Ben, being the resident surfer here, I don't know maybe he could speak to like being on a board handling something on that size. But he did it with a boat. Yeah, I mean yeah, with a fishing I, vessel. I've been that's
1: caught on the inside. <laughs> multiple times in my entire life sometimes it's in a big big swell and there's like a jetty behind you but when you've got a board and that's it you can you can maneuver it you can bail and just swim as deep as you can but when you're in a boat and you've got the lives of everybody in your hand there's probably not much you can do I just got take it and try and get out
2: right um yeah, definitely like the most wildest experience I've ever dealt with. I pulled into the dock, and there's a guy of a real old-timer out there who fished up it for a really long time, and I tied up next to him, and I told him what happened, and he looked at me and he said, I bet you won't do that again. Said, <laughs> Nope.
1: Nope. <laughs> Fisherman code. And then something else you mentioned that Nico and I loved is on your biggest catch. Tell us about your biggest catch, and then tell us about unexpected danger that came with that big catch. Uh, So the biggest set I ever made was
2: 15000 My boat was only supposed to max out at about 12,000 pounds. So we had all the holes filled and we completely deck loaded. It was just kind of a dumb luck set. We just got on a bang fish that just sank my net. We had to get the fish out. It took us probably six hours to get all the fish out. And typically, like I said, a storm usually pushes fish in, right? Yeah. This was like the sunniest, most glass day I could ever imagine. having just like a puddle on a windless day. It was just glass. Wow. So we got the boat loaded up, and, you know, I'm not supposed to have that many fish on that boat. So my gunnels are about a foot out of the water. You need to reach your hand over and touch your fingers in the water. Uh, Where are they usually? They're probably about six feet out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think I've actually held my brother by his ankle so I grabbed something out of the water before. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so we were real sitting real low. Had there been any sort of chop or break. what's gonna take wood on now? Um, I told you yeah. guys about uh, the Man oar boat that was just up for me. Did the same thing. And another boat drove by and his wake went over their gunnels and sank the boat.
0: With you know, oh, probably his record catch. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. That that season just literally went to the bottom of. Yep. That channel or whatever. It. Yeah. Wow. Um,
1: That's depressing. Yeah. I mean, scary. <laughs> but yeah, we we were we
2: were lucky and. We putted another like hour and a half, probably like three knots because it was about as fast as we could go. We got to the tender, I mean it was pretty cool, everyone was people were coming out with their video cameras filming me, tug up to the boat, and it's a bit, you know, you, you go to the tender, you ask what all the catches were, and on like the biggest day, I, you know, a lot of people had, um, I was the high boat on the tender I went to, so caught about that day and, uh, earlier in the day uh, another delivery that was about 6,000 pounds and uh, then I had that 15,000 pound delivery and it was actually about a third of my catch for the whole season I'm caught in one day yeah. awesome.
0: so. uh, I mean obviously that, that's your income is there like just curious is there a market is there like uh, never changing like market price on those fish or do you know like when hey I got X amount of days in the season I know when I bring it in if it's a top quality haul or something I'm getting X amount or I mean how, how do you guys deal with that on the business end that's curious I mean is there like a low quality catch or high quality or it's just like hey they're, they're pinks and that's what they want and how does that work?
2: Basically uh, in this May uh, you yeah. Dry fish, ice fish, and RSW fish. And RSW is refrigerated seawater. So you're pumping 34 degree water over the fish with an RSW system it sucks in water, chills it, dumps it on the fish. So RSW is like the highest quality. For you could fill your tanks and float your fish, mm-hmm. which they're you not know, going to get smashed. Um, so that's, that's, those are the levels that are going to change in price. Um, I have a dry boat it was the older boat um, it was built in 88 <laughs> um, and so I basically just get a base price you don't know your base price until usually about a week after the season um, so you're kind of just shooting blind but the name of the game is go out and Catch as many fish as you possibly can catch. Sure. Because I've been through. So when I when I started this as a crew hand, the price was fifty five cents a pound. The highest I saw it go was a When I went to a dollar seventy five, two years later it dropped to fifty cents a pound. Oh. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, so that year, it was really hard to budget for, and I lost a whole bunch of money, and had to go back out and fish another year, and break even on like two years of fishing. Wow. it's kind of the for me, I was like, it's a lot of work to lose money. Right, right. <laughs> so, well, especially at that price drop, I mean, right. basically
1: you have to work. What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: more than three times as hard, I mean, just to... Go to the year before. (laughs) You
1: know, I always, Nico and I talk about this sometimes. um, I think a lot of people do. You think, I would love to just spend a summer, go out, make some cash for the family on a fishing boat, come back completely loaded in cash. If somebody was going to try to do that, what, is, what would they have to, like, what would you tell a newcomer to the industry if you were going to be on a boat in a deckhand? What advice would you give? Um,
2: break up with your girlfriend before you go out. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, one, it can be really tough to get on a boat, you gotta kinda of know someone. Um people do just risk it all and go up there with a backpack and walk around the, the, the boat yards and ask people if they need another crew hand and I'll get on because you know sometimes you guys are hired on work out before you're even on the water. Um, but it is the hardest work. Um, that hard it is to work for basically 24 hours a day for four weeks straight. Um, it's really isolating. Um, but just, you know, if you're mentally strong enough to do it, you, some of it's just, you know, you see sunsets and, and scenery and, and a bunch of crazy fishermen doing things that you'd never seen before. You can't, you can't experience anything like it. Um, but it does take uh, a certain amount of mental toughness. Um, you know, I had, I had, uh, cousins and people that used to ask, you know, aunts, oh, can, you know, can cousin Jim come out and fish with you next year? And, uh, you know, I'm like, no, he's a 14-year-old with a girlfriend. It's not really, no. it's not it's really a cup of tea. I did have, I had uh, one local guy, uh, Casey Anderson, fishes for the Pyramid Fly Company. Basically when I met Casey, he was not a guy to Pyramid yet. He was working, er, working as a tattoo artist, fishing as much as he possibly could at Pyramid Lake. I used to go out there, and brush the snow off his tent and wake him up say hey let's go catch some fish and then at the end of the summer i needed a crew hand i'm like this guy this guy would definitely sure. work out he's got, uh, you know he's mentally tough enough to deal with the cold and put in the hours to salty to, yeah salty we'll and he came out and he was one of the best crew hands i had you know coming out all summer and he didn't complain once in the summer. You kind of lose your mind a little bit and get off the boat and make some money. And he got back and started Pyramid Fly Company with some other friends. And yeah, now he's doing that tattooing and I like to think that I helped him out a little bit. Right, great. That's awesome. He definitely helped me. You know, sure. He put in the work for a whole summer. So nice.
0: Yeah. Nice. So what we're gonna do right now? We're we're probably gonna take a quick little break, but before we do. Brennan uh, had something brought to the table maybe you could describe what, what's what's in front of us here before we, we dig into it real quick and
2: <laughs> yeah so um, we got a couple pizzas from Liberty um, if you haven't been here um, you know some of the, the best pizzas in town a little bit of the reasoning behind why I can say that and confident. that is you can't really find a any dough anywhere else in town like this, so... Um, this is a 72-hour fermentation dough, uh, which basically just allows it to be really light. So, normally you come to pizza, you feel heavy and bloated. Um, this is made and then rolled down for over three days, until it's rolled into balls and brought up that day. Um, and our pizza guy, Tommy, spent years developing this. And so it's really, really good stuff, and then made good part um, The joey that we have here in front of us is made with all of the in-house cured meats that we make. Uh, so there's some of our meatball. Uh, some of our sausage, and then some of our salons The U.S.D. butcher shop. Nice. So it's it's all made in house. Um, sauce basically is just crushed tomatoes with a little salt. Um, basically, we do that just because we believe so much in the flavors of the meat the ingredients sure. and and the dough. So that makes sense.
0: And then you also have for for your uh, vegan or vegetarian. Uh, Clientele, what do you have over here? Um,
2: So for Ben, we have the uh, (laughs) classic for bed, the classic margarita. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have vegan cheese. Uh, We also have a really, you know, it's not our dough, but um, we're really into serving quality stuff. So Tommy also took the time to find um, like the best gluten-free dough you can find. Um, It's not frozen. Comes in a ball and we cook it to order, mm-hmm. this isn't gluten-free, really but we do have a gluten-free vegan option. And then um, he's just got the classic margarita. Um, we also have another one that people you know, love. It's called the fun um, It's basically mushrooms with cream sauce. You can get that with the vegan cheese and you can kill it.
1: So. And then we, we were going to get into this a little later, but since we're on the topic, you also have a lot of different vegetables and that sets you apart. I know that Nico and I uh, do a lot of work with Urban Roots, a local nonprofit, and I had the great opportunity to come to one of their fundraisers here and the food was incredible. The vegetables were really fresh and can you kind of tell us about that relationship and, and how that food is um, procured?
2: So a lot of our just base philosophy is really uplifting our producers, our farmers, uh, and Urban Roots is out here teaching kids you know, what it is to be a farmer and what it is to, to grow your own food and what that means and how much better it is, the, the flavors of that, you know, they're, they're really invested in that, so they're going to support them. Uh, we did a program this summer where uh, our chef would go in the morning and see what they had on hand. And it was stuff grown by the kids, you know. They would tell us, oh yeah, the the second graders planted this row of stuff, and there's kale over here, and there's beets, and so we just got creative. Um, I know a lot of people don't think of vegetables on pizza, but we love to use them. We put all kinds of different vegetables on pizza. Um, We've had beet pizzas on the menu, and and that, you know, they use flowers, uh, kale and beets and all kinds of different stuff here. Sure. they were grown at the farm. So it was a really cool program. Um, and, you
0: know, and Ben, didn't, didn't you come in and actually experience that? How how was that? I mean, yeah,
1: I I did. I I never realized how much I liked beets. They were always kind of a sketchy thing on the Thanksgiving plate. <laughs> you were disappointed it wasn't a cranberry, and then they were kind of rubbery. And then when I came here, um, it was just great. We, I, I had beets on my plate. They, they almost tasted like a fruit. And I think a lot of it had to do with they were just so, you guys are, are sourcing so locally and so fresh. Uh, everything I had was great. And it was also, of course, great to see Faith and Jenny and, and the whole crew there. But, yeah, I, I recommend it for everybody. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, we,
2: we love working with those guys, and then on a, on a day-to-day basis, you know, the, the, every person isn't necessarily providing restaurants with food all the time, but we do use a prog- program called DROP, uh, which is Distributors of Regional Organic Products and Produce, um, which is run out of the Great Basin Food Co-op, um, and basically uh, farmers can put their produce that they're growing locally on their website and our chefs can go on to their website and directly order that stuff and then the the co-op picks up from the farmer and brings it to us Um, we were actually just this week looking at one of our product businesses and our top five sellers were all vegetables kale salad (laughs) beets uh Flour, tomatoes, empanada, and like but I know the top five were for vegetables, which is crazy. Like our other restaurants, the top sellers is always like a burger.
0: Sure. You know. Wow. There's something to be said about that. Yeah. You know, the way that you're pushing and promoting that, you know, that's that's it's unusual, but it's. I don't know how you say it. I mean, who else is doing that? I mean, who else can really say? You know, unless unless they—that's all they do, or that's all they cater to—it would be a given. But so that's awesome. Yeah. Kudos on that.
1: And, and it gave me a sense of a real connection with my community. That's yeah. another added thing. I walked away feeling like I—I I love living here. I love being a part of this. So good work. Kudos on that. Yeah, I
2: think I already preemptively signed up my daughter that urban rates program, but she's only one so she isn't quite there yet. <laughs> right, right, right.
0: Oh, Alright, well with that we're gonna take a a quick little break. It'll probably be about 15 or 30 seconds on your side, but maybe five on ours, but you know, you'll never know the difference. So <laughs> we'll be right back.
1: We are back and that was exquisite. I'm using my most fancy word I know just for this meal. That's how good it was. Um, so, our, we want to know you, you came from Alaska to here. What was it that interested you about here and, and how did you do that? Um,
2: I mean, the, the base was I, I went to college here, but there's obviously reasons I drew me to Reno and a lot of that was the mountains in the area. Um, I loved playing in the snow. Uh, so, I did some research and found out about the Sierras. I was basically you know, short of it. And I wanted to come snowboard, go to school law, I was play in the mountains.
0: Nice. So how did that, so at what point did you uh did, did the local kind of fishery capture your attention? Like, were you're like, oh, there's a river that I could fish, and oh, there's this lake they talk about all the time. Like, when, it, when did that come into your world? Like, how did that happen?
2: So it was actually a few years, and um, I was just doing my first fishing thing, and I came back one year, and you know, there's, there's a river here. I would looked, love looked to try and fish it. I had floated down it, I'd run Tahoe. Done all that, but uh, I hadn't really explored it. And I went to Cabela's and I bought a Cabela's Three Forks complete setup. Mm-hmm. Cheapest, I think it was probably $75, something like that. And it came to the line and I bought flies. And there's uh, there's actually some some pictures I have of uh, the first couple of days of me fly fishing. And it actually grew. To know, I had never fly fished uh, In Alaska, we, you know, wow. we fished bait, and spinners, and all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, we caught fish for dinner. And uh, this, this was also right in the middle of the drought. And so I knew that that wasn't really an option. I'm not a huge fan of eating trout in the first place. So I just thought it'd be fun to try it out. So I watched YouTube videos, watched a bellas, but uh, where I was going is, there's uh, there's some pictures of me on the first trip, fly fishing trekking, and I was standing in the river up to my knees in my jeans. All I bought was a rod and a couple flies. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I, I, I caught some fish. Um, I had been catching fish in different ways my whole life. Um, so I... Listen to what the guys, Camella, says. and put this on, throw it out there. Probably doing it all wrong. A lot of dumb luck. Um, when I once I hooked a fish, I kind of knew how to get it back to me. I knew how fish on. I, I understood all that. Um, but once I did it, I was, like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is right up my alley, and I basically never looked back. Um, nice. I, I fished that fall uh, on the truckie. Uh, it was really low flows. Um, I, I tried to fish really early in the morning before it got warm, it from what I could read. Really, you, know, you had to give the fish a break a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I caught a bunch of little fish. Uh, and then I went like a year, probably catching zero fish on the truckie. <laughs> All in
1: the winter, just nothing. as Nico says, "Old Two Face."
0: <laughs> yep, yeah. That that's that's the nickname. of it. So, but We we coined that the old Two Face just because it, it visually. I mean, everything could be right. You know, you could have the, the the best weather, the best conditions. There could be hatches, you know, or nymphs floating. I mean, you could be standing in the water. You could watch. You could watch. You know, nymphs crawling up your leg. You know, you can see boils of fish, and then you're like, "Oh, this is this is gonna happen." And, and and as we found, every every fly fishing technique that you will find that's commonplace and works anywhere from Alaska to Montana to Idaho or whatever, you come here and it's like, "Yeah, no, that that that's not how it works." Sorry, you know, it sounds like you kind of experienced that where you're like, "The only the only thing that's the same is any place else, it's like, well, they're trout." Yeah. In there and water, that's it, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, what what um, broke your slump? Tell us about that and how you felt when you first caught your first fish after the break. Did it compare to the very first fish you caught, or was it better, or worse, the same? So,
2: I, you know, I tried all kinds of different techniques and this happens, and I, and I ended up catching a few fish here and there, um, and then. Someone introduced me to a year and I wasn't very good at that for a long time. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I caught a couple of really nice rainbows in the truck, and I had been catching rainbows my whole life, I was really, really motivated and interested in catching a brown trout. They don't have brown trout in the I really wanted to catch the trail. And I went out one morning and I fished up this rod, right in this nice little corner. Fished a seam and caught like a 20-inch brat. And I don't I don't know if I've ever been so excited. I was by myself. God I did it! <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just super super excited. And then that that kind of like was the yeah point where I, you know, I saw where I caught that fish, I had some flies that gave me confidence, and then that's when I really started kind of breaking into, like, what the trucking can offer. This And this is also after the river recovered a little bit. Sure. You know, there's, there's more fish. Um, Are you
1: comfortable with sharing what fly that was on? Do you remember?
2: Oh, yeah. I was on uh, uh, Peaches and Cream. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, nice.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I
2: always carry those in my box. And that's my now go to. And then
1: how did you transition oh, then to Pyramid?
2: Um, pyramid is the same thing as, you know, <laughs> fishing in the river in my jeans. You know, me and my buddy went, went out to Cabela's. We bought the Cabela's complete setups. <laughs> we went out to Pyramid Lake. It was super stormy because that's when they said to go out to Pyramid Lake. Right. And we went to we drove down and we saw all the people down in South Nets and we waited out there 200 yards and we were taking waves to our chest we didn't catch anything
1: right <laughs> right
2: uh, we could barely cast you know we are just casting these big old sinking lines uh, but you know we were persistent we went back a couple times and watched the guys next to us catch 15 pound fish catch a whole bunch of fish while we didn't catch anything
0: and I went over there and said what were you guys doing that? I was doing
2: you know yeah so well uh, you're and a bobber try that you're yeah. <laughs> a bobber did you say bobber yeah <laughs> right so then we went out you uh, probably didn't say bobber right
0: right well that's what you're thinking you're like wait a second because I mean you know, one, you, like, you, you learn this whole method of fly fishing. You know, like, you, you tried, you know, your regular fly fishing, you try the euro nymphing you know, and then you're going out to the pyramid going, oh, well, you know, maybe I need to go out there and strip set and stuff like that, or strip. And, and then, and, you know, guys are using indicators or, you know, bobbers and stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of alien to any other trophy fishery, probably in the world with the exception of, like, Jurassic Lake, that's about it, you know. Like <laughs> maybe someplace else that I'm not keen on, but I mean, what, what, what's that like when growing up in Alaska and hooking into you know any you know different number of species of salmon that you know are large and they probably give you a heck of a fight, and then you find them in the middle of the desert here. I mean, what what's that like for you? I mean, <laughs> Man,
2: it really, it was just like exciting. You know, the more I the more I figured it out and and. Got into it. It was just like, kind of crazy that there's such a unique fishery just right there. Yeah. And you know, figure, oh took forty five minutes to get out of here. Right. And go out. Uh, you know, later in that year, I ended up catching a like, fourteen pound fish. Huh. You know, and I uh, and you know, I'd, I'd send pictures to like my dad in it. His friends that are at the fly for are just like What? In Nevada? <laughs> you got that in Nevada? No. Oh can I come visit you? Which <laughs> none kind of them actually have it. Come on guys. It's here. Yeah. You can do it. I'll put you on some fish. yeah, I mean it's it's pretty insane, like you said, you know, when you really look at it, there's not a lot of places to do it, to ra- you know, Jurassic Lakes the same. Crazy bucketless thing for people, right? And, and a lot of people are closer to here than I think. And, I mean, the fish are just as
0: big, just as big. You know, similar environment. You know, similar yeah. similar circumstances, and it's just right here in the backyard. Yeah. And it, yeah. it it has more nor- notoriety around the world than it does locally. And I, think, I mean, that's that's picking up a little bit, but you know, <laughs> it's just fascinating that that's here. But that's yeah. How,
1: cool. how did you transition to into your Level now, where you were telling us a story about a day where a lot of people were casting too far out, and you knew to back up. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: So I think some of that probably comes from some of my commercial fishing days. You know, like you got you got to watch what the other guys are doing, and they're not always doing everything right. <laughs> um, but a lot of that comes from a, a, a lot of days of Pyramid, uh, confidence, you know, confidence flies, confidence in the beach. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I basically sat and watched guys catch fish really really close to the beach, but never was standing in the water, knee deep. And I started catching some fish, and they all seemed real close. So instead of standing in the water I stood 10 feet back and my rod tip was on the <laughs> on the water line and then I caught fish every single cast for about an hour and a half.
0: And you realize how close they are to yeah. yeah, the But people are like standing on top of yeah, them casting
2: them. And it was right at sunset so you couldn't see the fish in the water or sometimes in the middle of the bay you can late in the season but it's just you know, I, that was a lot of experience and just Knowing how those fish will eat. I, I, I've been out there on a ladder super far out and stripped my flies back in, turned my rock tip was behind me, and had fish eat my flies where so I can see them next to the ladder. And then they will chase right in close. And sometimes it's just to the point where you're like, yeah, I have to stop, but you stop, you stop that beetle. It's like, oh, great, I'm gonna eat that. Some of those are the coolest grabs you can ever have.
1: You know, you're like oh, I watched him eat that one. Now you get pretty competitive with your your buddies out there. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what, what you call certain specific events?
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you fish a pyramid, you know sometimes you're in close quarters, um, and if you're lucky, you're in close quarters with your friends. So, you know, you guys can have a little friendly competition and whatnot. And one of uh, one of our favorites uh, with a bunch of guys that I fish with is bobber The <laughs> <laughs> old bobber battle. Um, and it's really just to pass the time. You know, you can spend a lot time out there just staring at a bobber and just doing nothing. Uh, or you can, you know, have fun with your friends and talk a little trash. So, we like to cast as close as we can to each other you get your bobbers within inches of each other um and then basically just sit and watch four bobbers instead yeah. of
1: like one bobber <laughs> <laughs> and really it's
2: it broken up the monotony of the slow day sure because the saves will work better than it probably should you know we call it the iron curtain makes sense <laughs> we got You know, eight ninjas (laughs) hanging out there, really close to each other. Right. And it's always one of the middle ones. You know, (laughs) swim by and I'll, know, I'm gonna eat that one. Right. I I mean, do it. Do it, and it'll make you laugh. when someone's bobber goes down for sure. It's like tangle everyone else's stuff (laughs) up.
0: And you guys are probably fishing all the same stuff. Like you're like identical rigs it's like, why, why is it always picking Brennan's every single time?
1: Yeah.
2: Nobody knows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What's your most heated experience out there?
2: Um, I mean, I'm pretty level-headed, but these days some of the people get really fixated on, like, a spot on the beach, you know, oh, you have to be right there. And so the uh, show, you know, you wake up and you camped on the beach and you wake up and you know, someone that's been out there at four o'clock in the morning and set their ladder out there like right in front of your stuff that's been you know you were camping out there for days. We've seen some heated exchanges out there for that kind of stuff, but the the reality, the reality is there's fish up and down, like, you know. Just because some guys are keyed in on the right fly or a huge factor that I found is the depth. Sure. And, if, and people think that they need to stand in that certain spot because that guy was catching fish right there. When really they can they can adjust their depth, or they adjust their fly. Uh, what depth do you recommend? Seven to nine feet. I mean, especially if you're fishing under a bobber with, in spring. You know, they're in close, and, and one fly seven, one at nine, that's basically all the fish. Earlier in the year, like right now, you might go deeper, i might go down like 12 feet. I you know, see some guys with switch rods fishing deeper bomb cast right out there, and that's effective. But pretty pretty generic depth yeah, is seven, nine,
0: Sounds about right. Sounds about like what we do on the, the truckie. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on a whitefish mission lately. <laughs> we don't know what we we had a little bit of a slump with the trout. They kind of fizzled out here and there and with limited time we found some sections that were old and some nice whitefish. And Man, they're they're great they're great fun. I mean little guys, but I mean the the, the softest takes yeah. you know, and you're just like, Wait, was did I just tap a rock or is that a fish? And it's like you know, you pull too soon, you completely miss it. You pull too late, it's already spit it out. Pull too hard, you pull its freaking head off. Yeah. You know, you know. So it's just like the, the subtlest. And, and Ben here is like become a Jedi master at it, just watching him. No bobber, you know, drifting a single or a tandem nymph. Just, just watching his line. He's got the, the currents down. And he'll be like, you we'll just see him all of a sudden just lift his rod tip, and he'd be like,
1: woohoo! That's I love that it. feeling. When <laughs> you're watching your line, and you see where where the line changes, and you watch it just slightly drift, just out of place, just a tad, and then you feel that pull, and it's just it's such an adrenaline rush every time. Oh yeah. I mean, that's
2: that's why I keep doing it. I'm, I'm a junkie for it, for sure. And any form. For Love, love tug is a
0: drug, right? Yep, exactly. I have heard that. <laughs> yeah. That is great. So, so a little bit of a transition here. Um, I wanted to talk to you. You're a big proponent of sustainability uh, within within fisheries, obviously commercially and then I'm sure that rolls over locally. Maybe you can speak a little bit to that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely on the, on the salmon front, um, you know, there's a lot of Misconceptions of what is, what isn't, farm, not farm, all that. Um, and and one thing I know for fact, fishing in Bristol Bay is it is the last great salmon run, and it is 100% a sustainable fishery. Um, basically, what the management does out there is keeps it from going from huge runs to smaller runs to to a, a more flat line of uh, medium-sized runs all the time, um, and they're and they're sh- shipping a lot of that fish overseas um, because uh, markets here don't know about it. They don't. They don't, don't want to pay the prices for it, but um, it is. Um, it's an incredible run. But, um, one of the reasons that it, it, it is is. There's no dams. They don't have dams in Alaska, mm-hmm. there's no dams in Alaska, um, and it's it's kinda of sad that you know the, the, some of the Oregon, Washington, and California runs used to be on the same level. I mean we talked yeah. about when you used to be able to walk across the fish. Um, and I have seen seen it out in the ocean, not even in a river. I've seen fish come in and it looks like you can walk across the fish. Wow. Um, and, and that's what it used to be all of the entire West Coast. But it's the last wild protein, and, you know, if you have the opportunity to try it, I definitely recommend it. There's don't like it. Um, and I push the restaurants that I work for all the time. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I mean, you guys are on top of, yeah. you know, you're purchasing those, aren't you? I mean, is that sustainable practice, you know, on, on the seafood and everything. And some
2: of the bulk stuff, you know, we do try and use, we do have some farm fish, um, and most you know, sustainable and well-raised stuff we can get. Sure. Uh, but it is out there, you know, the wild fish, the wild salmon is out there. Sure. I um, can't say that I would recommend eating every wild caught fish because some of them are not as sustainable. But salmon room to eat Three quarters of the run and come back just as strong. Wow, so, you know, it's a really unique thing. You know, and I really encourage people to try Bristol Bay wild sockeye, uh, and then you know transitioning to how I feel about here is you know, just you know, respect the resource. You know. there, there, there's a certain level where, keep, especially pure pipe you where know, we can kill some of those fish, you I know someone that does that. It probably helps that fishing because it's so stocked, but it's hard to see, you know, I mean I see friends post pictures of people, you know, across the river with their bait and you know, they got a twenty four inch brown trout on their stringer and they're not stocking brown trout right here, so that's a wild no, fish.
0: Not. No they're not. Um,
2: I actually have a pretty good story about fishing with my friend Casey that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. and we we had been fishing this run, we got up to a point and there's a guy fishing with night crawlers in in you know, Barn hole, which, you know, everyone knows up there in Mobile and he uh, we 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 went around and we went up above him and we were just fishing in the white water above him in the pocket water. You know? Yep. We look back. He was hooked up with this big old fish, and uh, Casey looked at me and said, "I'm gonna go help him net that fish." And he's like, "No, man, like, whatever. That guy's gonna kill that fish. He's fishing at night and all of Tell him to kick rocks." And he's like, "Yeah, well, maybe I can talk him to let me go." Yeah. Like, whatever, dude. So he goes down there and he helps the guy out the fish got it in the net and then hook okay, it and you know I, I walked down and, you know he, he was definitely like, gonna keep the fish. <laughs> and, Kimberly, and Casey just know. said he, he's oh you know we're like admiring the fish, oh that's a really beautiful fish. And Casey just said, hey man do you really want to kill that fish? Like you know that fish just survived like a five year drought. Like it's got really good genes. Like uh-huh. it could reproduce and create more fish but Kill it! can't. And the guy was kind of, eh. but he ended up actually letting it go. He had this beautiful, like, <laughs> it was like a twenty-four-inch pound was massive. Wow, that's he, great. he talked him into letting go, and he just totally, you know, put my foot in my mouth about, wow, screw that guy, you know. But um, yeah.
0: And that that, that takes a lot of persuasion. I mean, that's that's hard to see from coming from a spot where we, we view the browns and, and the rainbows in here as a sport fish. And and we know how fragile that environment is and what they've been through. And even though the fishery has been recovering quite well, you're always being mindful of the fact of, you know, I, I could keep that, but why? Do I really need that, you know? And it, is that, you know, is it recruitment size? Is it is it breeding quality, you know? Or is it just an old, you know, an old cow that's on its way out? you know so I mean you have to take that judgment call and, and and I think that the fly fishing community on the most part has been pretty from what I've seen has been pretty responsible but you do have what we in a negative connotation refer to as the gearhead community and, and no 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 discredit to what they do they they fish for their own reasons but when you see that it's hard and, and you're not you were lucky that was a, a great scenario but I personally have been in scenarios where it hasn't been let go and you're just frustrated you're like wow like you know, it's like a six, seven, eight pound rainbow is one that I remember, and I'm like, the guy just, I helped him net it, and I, and I stick my hemostats in there to pull the hook out for the guy, and I notice it's got barbs in every which way direction, and I'm like, keeping it in the water, I'm like, all right, you want me to take a picture? You take a picture. You want to let it go? And he's like, oh, no, I'm taking that home. You know, but it was his catch. I can't, I can't take it away from the guy. He he, he paid for a Nevada state fishing license, and and. Uh-oh, he's on his way I mean that, that's his right but you're like oh wow
2: you're a little <laughs> pan fryers taste better that's what <laughs> that's what they're there yeah and that's
0: what they're there for too you yeah, know and that does
2: a great job of going out there and stocking those fish for people to take home but that's what they're there for yeah. they are going to catch the wild
1: big fish and most of them
2: that's not what they're out there to do they're like, yeah I'm taking this home for dinner uh,
1: you know um we had a, a great podcast with Chris Sega. I think you said you heard that one, and he was talking about going and uh, frying some whitefish and putting them in a burrito, possibly. Yeah. And we wanted to ask you: you're you're surrounded by great food all day. Um, where do you go when yeah. you're you're away from here and you're hungry to get a good burrito what are what's your your favorite burrito
2: i don't go very far <laughs> um right across the street is antonio's and i go to taco tuesday there every single tuesday that's
1: great no, yeah. nice.
2: and, and and they're great they make there's some really good food um the other place I really really enjoy in town is Taco yeah, They are the Jam. Nice. Um, their breakfast burrito. They got the rice and beans in the breakfast burrito, which a lot of places do the potatoes. Mm-hmm. There's the rice and beans. Wow. Teresa breakfast burrito. Taco Zone is the, the way to go.
0: They're pretty great. I, I had a, a lunch there not too long ago, and uh, I got the carnitas burrito and. It, yeah. what, in no way, shape, or form, was it disappointing. Yeah. It was good. I, I mean, live
2: really close to the one up there on uh, the All right. So that's like a this, uh,
1: stable spot.
0: Nice.
2: <laughs> so, uh, nice. Uh, are you
1: ready to give it the test, Nico, to see if it, how it raked?
0: Yeah, I think we should go here. So, I want you to think about that brief. So if, if that's your favorite one, this is how we, we do a, a personal uh, evaluation. Or rating, it's an unofficial official rating, you know. So there's there's points in here somewhere. We still haven't quite figured out the system, but we'll see. So, um, what do you think, Ben? Oh, here's a good one. So, so do you feel a hot breeze as you're eating the burrito? Oh yeah, yeah. The the, the breakfast
2: burrito. Uh-huh. For sure.
0: Right. Right, you feel it, and that's important because if it's, it's, um, it's, it's that, it's that, it's taking you someplace else, right? I mean, you're you're eating a burrito, you're you're thinking.
1: I mean, what do you think of that? You have a yeah, lot of burritos. My my greatest burrito caused a complete stupor of thought. That's what I've noticed, and I know you guys uh, at the break. We were admiring the pizza even more and we were going further into the talk of the dough. And you mentioned uh, one of your chefs, Tommy, um, every time he gets a pizza out of the oven, he holds it in the air and looks at it. So I know you know good, good dough. So I wanted to ask you one of our questions. How's the tortilla quality?
2: Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, they... Uh, uh you know, you can get like one; it's a good size, so you can, you can get all the ingredients in there, and it's not leaking out. And um, with the with the bean and cheese, it's kind of mushy inside. They wrap it up real tight there, and it's like it's perfect, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, because we we have different evaluations for the tortilla quality, so like want to be like similar to like a boat deck. Right on a small boat, so if it's unevenly loaded and like you know the boat's just 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 hanging on, and and, and you go port, and the whole thing lists the port, you know, or if you go starboard and the whole thing you know lists the starboard, you have that, and and you're kind of like, okay, we got some, we got an issue, or you know, we dip into the transparency. So you go from the boat dock to if you have more transparency, you're gonna find that that burrito is capable of holding so much more, even though you can almost see through. But tortilla, because of the lard content, you're like, oh, I can see my cubes of carnitas. And, oh, I can see that one's got, it's covered a little bit by some cilantro. Oh, there's an onion, you know. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering where it falls. I mean, is it, is it, is it, is it, is there a bit of lard in there? Is it, is it pretty solid? I mean, in your best words, I mean, like what? It's
2: pretty solid. Okay. So I like, <coughs> I think part of it is, like the ratio of how much they put in to the tomato size. Uh-huh. So, like, if it's too much and you bite and it all, kind of falls out. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, you know. Right. Um, I don't think they, I don't think they like grill it at all. I'm pretty sure it's just wrapped up in like a warm uh, tortilla. Right. So then um, you can get a little tortilla without it. You know what I mean? Nice. Like Nailing. So right. you're not just like eating the goop out of the top. Or, just even straight tall so.
0: turrets. Right, and there's there's no, you're not running into the like compromise of like the, the structural integrity of their turrets as you go down. You have a pretty consistent. You're like, hey, I'm starting at ten stories, and it's still going to be just as strong when I get down to five, four, and three, two, one. You're not you're not getting that. Uh oh, exactly. you know, Mount St. Helens thing. Like, oh, crap!
2: No, <laughs> no, that Wreck-It Ralph effect. The Wreck-It <laughs> <Rick and> Ralph. <laughs>
0: That's I love it. Good. i gonna really have to good. write that one down.
1: <laughs> How did you first find it? What do you look for when you're when you think this place has a very good chance of having a good burrito?
2: Um, I actually just kind of just used to see it all the time. Like, man, we go there. I finally did, and then I was like, oh man, telling everyone like, have you been to this place, Taco Del Rey? Great. (laughs) I'm kind of late to the show, but yes. (laughs) Well,
0: was it like a smell that lured you in? Was it a consistent amount of people in a crowd? Was it just, was it kind of like that ray of sunshine going, coming through like a rainstorm? You're like, oh, I wish that was part of that.
2: I think it was just the the simple, you know what I mean? Like, Uh, they just have to just, that's all it is. It's key,
1: simple. Tacos El Rey. Okay, well, I mean, it seems pretty authentic.
0: Sure. You know what?
1: A good, that that's something that, you, yeah, that's very true. It, it's really important when some place has a complete lack of any sort of marketing. Exactly. Right? you yeah, like,
2: like, found the secret. You know? Yes.
0: Yeah, one of the greatest I saw recently, uh, M, M Mart or M Market, it's uh, next to. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, you were telling what's that, me. What's about the that? Uh, Mark IV strike? Right. There's yeah. a gas station, yeah. But you go in there and you don't even like really see a menu like you see you know the two folks back there and you know what you know what's going on you see tortillas and they got the meat and stuff and they're like oh it's mexican food but you're like what you, do I do? you just you just like you just throw something out there and see what sticks and normally it will but it's just when you find that level and yeah. we Ben and i still have yet to di- you know dive into that i think we're kind of holding it in reserve because we know it's potentially going to be really really great I mean, anytime there's a fryer next to, like, the gum stand at the (laughs) gas station checkout, (laughs) you know, there's something, something's happening. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's,
1: you know. Once I was down in La Jolla, and I had just uh, surfed Ocean Beach, and I was famished, and I was in this gas station, and I was, like, telling them, I'm really, I don't know how we got to this, but. He's like, you know what you should try some our sushi. He's like, I mean, I know you never want to have sushi in a gas station, but this is the exception. And sure enough, I, I trusted him. It. I mean, it was excellent, no repercussions. And I know that's the case. I think that rule does not apply with good, authentic Mexican food. A gas station is okay.
0: So here, here we go. So this is the, this is the final evaluation. All right, and then we'll, we'll rank it from here. So, part one, our meat sweats part of the equation. I
2: would, I would say no. Yeah. No meat sweats. No. I would, I would, I usually eat this burrito to get me to recover from like a up, like I feel like it brings life in you. Not not to you. take it away. Interesting. We're gonna
0: have to adjust our evaluation scale because that's usually I'm ready for like a yes, but um, that's awesome. That's good to know. That means you got you got wholesome real burrito, you yeah. know. So um, yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: I, just, I love these things, man. They always catch me off guard. Burritos are just such a measure of, of things. I mean, like you know, and then when you combine it like with a great like so like we like to combine it, like with a fishing day, right? Either before, during, or after. Because that can, you know, your meal can completely make or break your event. I mean, if you just roll out there, you roll out of bed, like, say, in the morning, and you're like, I'm going to hit that fishing hole, and you just go straight to it, I mean, within the first hour, you're already suffering, you know, and then then you're trying to hang on for dear life, going, oh, I'm not getting anything, and you just keep trying and trying, and the whole time, you're hangry the whole time, but for some reason, you don't want to walk away, you know, where you knew, like, hey, if I just took that extra hour, hey, the fish are going to be there, if I get that burrito. Whether it's for breakfast, lunch, you know, or early dinner, if you're going for like a late summer dry fly session, it's going to be that much better.
2: Yeah, you know, what I mean? especially if you're not catching fish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of made me think. Here you, you are, most of the time, right here in beautiful downtown by the river, um, close to a lot of stuff, but you've got experience being literally out at sea and spending the whole day at the pyramid. Well, what's your What's your ideal food prep, prep for a trip out to sea?
2: Oh, out to sea? Yeah, oh, what man. kind of
1: stuff do you eat? How do you fuel that expedition in the middle of the ocean?
2: Oh, I, I guess the best way to culminate what we eat is we had, a, uh, we had a dish that we called <laughs> And I mean, basically it basically was Progresso soup, like Progresso chicken soup. A can of canned chicken. Throw that in there. Usually threw some like my canned corn, a can of green beans in there, and then we would uh, put instant mashed potatoes in it. <laughs> my my brother made this one time after a long long day of fishing, and he brought this steaming bowl of what he called goulash up to me on the fly bridge. And it was like the best thing. Like, I don't think you could even make this work not on a double day. You'd probably like implode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You taste burned off and, so much that
1: you could sustain. But it was our <laughs> first year,
2: and, and it became a staple. I don't think anyone else could make it except for my brother either. We just be like, yeah, goulash. and it was just it was hearty and had a bunch of stuff in it, and it just you know warm you up and <laughs> keep you <laughs> going. I was like. Uh,
1: the boat's staple. <laughs> That's great. What, what do you take out to, for a day at the Pyramid or a or a camping trip?
2: Uh, we like to go all out of here We're camping. Mm-hmm. We bring out the barbecue, like throw a tri-tip on there, the Dutch oven, get weird to that, and, you know, throw a bunch of beans and the meat, whatever in there. But, yeah, the Pyramid's on it you close to all kinds of good stuff, so why not? Especially if fishing's slow, that's really, you know. Or you know, we all take journeys too, you know, and we always have a strategy practice. So. Oh, I five hundred
1: eggs.
2: I made them all.
0: I mean, you know, <laughs> that's <great. laughs> That's important out there. I mean, you could have a long day out there, you know. So, like I said, if it's if it's boring or you know it, the bites off, you know, you gotta you still gotta yeah. stay on top of it, you know. Yeah. So, no better way to do it. <laughs>
2: yeah, go eat. <laughs> right,
0: right. So, um, before we go, um, I wanted to make sure that everyone's aware of maybe where they could find more information on any of the Reno local food group, uh, food group <laughs> restaurants. Um, is Do you have, like, a central website, or does each location have a website, what would you...
2: So, each location does have a website, and... Mm. Uh, Actually, in the last month, just got creating, got done creating uh, central website. So you go to Reno LFG is like RenoLocalFoodGroup um, and you can find uh, links and a little bit of information on all of our websites and about what our entire company stands for, which is. Local seasonal fresh food. Right. Um, So, yeah,
0: reno.lg.com. Awesome. And it seems like I was going through your menus before I came over here, your different locations. It seems like with your different locations, you have have Reno um, and the Museum of Art over here, Liberty, and in Carson, you have uh, the Union. Uh, The Overland in Gardnerville? Gardnerville. Um, And what else am I missing here? Uh, We just
2: opened Cucino Lupa, which is an Italian concept in Carson City.
0: Right. And across the board, are you kind of catering, um, you know, as far as picky eaters or different type of diners? I mean, obviously, you got your carnivores, but do you have uh, the the vegan and vegetarian type specific plates? I mean, how do you cater to that? So
2: we we always do have uh, vegan, vegetarian options. But one of the things is is ninety nine percent of the dishes of the drink are made to order. Okay. So if there is a dish that has something that you don't want in it, you could ask a server, and they can they can take it out. That's you know, great. Um, no hassle. Yeah. Okay. It not a, it's not an issue. You know, a lot of times they're they're mixing those ingredients in the pan and putting the pasta, they're putting the it on the pizza, or you know whatever it might be. It's all made to order, so. Uh, we can modify almost every dish we to have to cater
0: to different uh, diets. Awesome. So, yeah, you heard it. Um, if you get a chance, if you're in Reno, hit up Liberty um, or the Nevada Museum of Art. Or if you're going down south, you got locations in Carson and in Gardnerville. Uh, they're all worth a trip. So we're all
1: over the 395. Perfect. That makes it easy. <laughs> that makes it easy. Well, thank you so much. We've had a wonderful time here, learning more about you and. Um, we wish you the best in the future, and we'll be we'll be in touch. Sounds yeah, good. Dude. Yeah, we'll get
0: out and do some bobber battles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's do it. We, we
1: need a proper bob, bobber battle. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, Brennan. Yeah, take it easy.